Blog Talk Radio. Here at ACO Radio, American Communications Online, or any affiliated stations or websites are not responsible for what guests, hosts, or call-ins may say. All programming is intended for informational and entertainment purposes only. Hello, world. This is TJ Morris, and you're listening to American Communications Online. And my company, or my brand, our channel, whatever you want to say, wherever you're pulling into Blog Talk or Spotify or wherever, is TJ Mars ET Radio. I've been sporting that since 2012 with Janet Carolusson, and she has Aquarian Radio in Hawaii. And uh, we're going to work uh, on Saturdays in Paranormal with Ronnie Dawson out of Texas. So I'm going to let each one of them introduce themselves. I'm in the panhandle of Gulf Breeze, Florida. And I guess I'm coming in okay. I'm trying to call in direct, which I don't like to do, into the studio on my computer. But I was just talking to Ronnie and Janet, so we'll see how this goes. So, Ronnie, go ahead and introduce yourself and tell us where you're calling in from, if you don't mind. Okay, thank you, Janet. Uh, Yes, my name is Ronnie Dawson. I'm a UFO uh, alien contactee experiencer, and uh, and tonight we're going to... We've started a, show, a paranormal show here called uh, You Ain't Gonna Believe This, and uh, we're going to go deep into the paranormal, and we're, we're going to talk about everything from ghosts to Bigfoots to, and I've uh, I've been asking around and getting some paranormal stories to share, uh, real deal paranormal stories that actually happen to people, and, uh, and some of them can't share them because, because of where they worked, but I can't share them without using their names and stuff, so I, I've got some good stuff to share tonight. And I think you'll really enjoy it. And like I said, uh, I've seen enough stuff myself to know that there's more to this world than we could ever imagine. And, and we're going to talk about some of that here in the next few weeks on Saturday. And it should usually be at 7 p.m. Uh, sometimes by chance it may happen at 3 p.m., but uh, usually 7 p.m. Central Time is uh, the time I'm trying to get on here. All right. And, uh, Thanks, I'll Ronnie. Yeah, Janet, can you hear me? Do you want to introduce yourself yes. in Hawaii? Yeah, I'm the co-host, uh, Janet Carolesson, and uh, not the co-host. I'm just tuning in today. This is going to be Ronnie's going to be the host, and then he'll have whoever he wants on. Um, this, I guess if I'm understanding this correct, a new show called You Ain't Going to Believe This. It's paranormal based. It'll be on. I guess you're going to want people to send you stories also, right, Ronnie? So are you going to have, like, an email where people can send you their stories so you can report them on the show? Yeah, they can. I mean, it's okay if people call in or otherwise I, I'm trying to get some people to come online, but they're kind of timid and scared. But uh, they told me that they didn't <laughs> mind me sharing their stories <laughs> so I could share it from a third person's perspective. <laughs> well, it's a great idea. I love it. And if you could send me uh, a description of your show, Ronnie. I'll put it up on my site, and, uh, you know, it'll be available for people to uh, read the description. And the, um, I guess, TJ, you're going to facilitate putting up the show link each week. Are you going to be co-hosting with uh, Ronnie, or are you going to be, how are you going to be doing I, this? Well, I haven't, we're just getting started. I wanted to do a series for him, so uh, I have it on uh, American Communication Online as a company. TJMRCT Radio is where we're broadcasting from. So, Janet, uh, I don't know if you can syndicate on yours or just 
grab it. Well, I won't be able to do on. this every Saturday. I can I can tune in out again. I'm just um, you know, I have a lot of things down here. I have a farm in in Maui, and you know, I, I have some organizational things. Like today, I have a worker, and they haven't checked back in with me, so I might have to leave even this show. But I'm here to support you. Um, and, uh, you know, to help this process. But we're trying to get food in here because of COVID and the coronavirus. We're trying to get more self-sufficient. We're over here in Maui. We've got the perfect growing climate. But I'm in the middle of uh, organizing people so we can, um, you know, get everything in place here. But, and uh, I can, uh, now and again, I'll let you know week by week if it's okay that I can tune in. And like I said, I may have to go because I have workers here. I didn't know this was going to happen. And they might text me and I'll have to go uh, take care of whatever's going on. But, and Anne, I think it's a great idea. Um, I would recommend you, Ronnie, or or TJ would have a receiving place for all the stories that you would uh, end up getting, Ronnie, so you can sort through. I imagine you're going to get a lot of people. If they can share their stories anonymously, they're going to want to be able to do that. So um, you want to think about it, and then sometimes during the course of this show, uh, tell people how they can, um, you know, email your sto- their stories to you. Do you have have you thought about that, Ronnie? Where do you want them to send your story, their story? Yeah, they can they can send a story to Ronnie Dawson eleven at gmail dot com, and so R O N N Y D A W S O N one one at gmail dot com. You can send your story in there. Right, let me slow that down a little bit, Ronnie. You said that fast, okay? Let's slow it down. Okay. Because people are probably just trying to write it down. One more time, but slow it down and spell it out. Yeah, it's uh, Ronnie Dawson 11 at gmail.com. R O N N Y D A W S O N 11 at gmail.com. And you can send your stories in there, and we'll get them on for you. And we'll keep you anonymous if you choose to be. But what if they just want to tell their story? Do you, are you going to be allowing that? Uh, for, like, I could send their information. They could say, "I'd like to be on," or "I'd like to just read my story." Right. Yeah. We you can come on and tell it if you'd want to do it that way, or we can just share it if you give us permission to do so. Okay. It sounds great. I'm excited for you. It sounds like a great idea. <laughs> he does pretty good by himself. I could just produce it for him, but I'll be here. I, Paranormal is my thing. I just, as long as my computers hold out and my phones, folks, you know, I've been here. Me and Janet have been doing this. It'll be eight years, Ronnie, uh, next month, June 6th. Janet mm-hmm. and I have been eight year anniversary. Uh, archiving wow. radio shows that long. And uh, I've paid uh, at least 40 a month every month for uh, blog talk, and so is Janet. So Janet keeps hers up. I keep mine up. But I put her on here and told her about it. So, uh, you know, I figured if she wants to syndicate it, she can too. So uh, I think it's a good idea too, Ronnie. And uh, you told yours, so it's on here. So, uh, and then we sort of caught up people. But however you want to do it, Ronnie, because I've got UAP Associates, folks, UAP uh, dot Associates. I'm going to be building that domain name up. And then uh, I have UFO Secret Space and I, a big uh, group over there on uh, Facebook. And I think Ronnie's in that. And Janet. Uh, Ronnie, are you in our UFO Secret Space Facebook group? I've got a domain it's, name. That's a good question. <laughs> I'm in so many yeah. groups, man. I don't even, I don't even know. 
Well, we may do a, I think we're going to do a UAP Associates for Unidentified Anomalous Phenomena Associates because I talk to a lot of people that are on my psychic shows and they love me to do readings, but a lot of them don't follow the UFO stuff. So, uh, and, and Janet does a lot on the Aquarian, but she and I have pretty much stuck with just about everything. But I think we, we uh, Janet and I sort of went around ET contactees and Stargate to the Cosmos events. And we were going to blend uh, UFO events and our psychic events together. And uh, she did the last one, didn't you, Janet? So uh, Stargate to the Cosmos 2018. So I'm done traveling. I'm done traveling for a while until, um, you know, things get corrected in our economy. And uh, it looks like it might be a while. So I think it's really smart to do things online, to do shows like this, uh, maybe even some webinars, but I think this is a great public service to get out these stories, and I want to pass the mic to Ronnie here, because um, the more you normalize the paranormal events in the world, and and you have a lot of like, me too, me too, I saw goes, me too, this happens, then the more that'll, um, the more stories will start getting, because more people will be comfortable about telling their tales. So you said you had a couple of good stories. You want to start out and and tell us one, and then maybe TJ uh, and I, uh, you could be the interviewer, and TJ and I can tell a, a story. I'm I'm wanting to get started into the meat of this because any time now my workers are going to text me. I'm going to have to get off. So Ronnie, okay. would you like to start with a story? Sure, sure. Yeah, I, I was uh, I was wanting to share my uh, my first my first uh, ghost story. It was uh, actually I was a uh, I was a kid, probably eight years old, and my uh, the grandmother I loved very dearly and was very sick, and she had gotten put into the hospital, and she was in bad shape, and uh, and I was really heartbroken because she was in the hospital, basically dying of some kind of flu, and uh, I was just a, I was just I wasn't very old, eight nine years old, and anyway I I know that I was fixing it. They were they were talking about she was well enough that we could start she could start having visitors. And I was getting ready the next day to go see her at the hospital, and uh, and and that that night something tapped me and woke me up, and, and it was my grandmother standing over my bed, and she told me she said she said she said look Ronnie I'm I'm gonna die, and I look terrible up there, and she said I don't want you to go up there and see me like that, and and she said I just looked awful, and she said and I'm not talking right, and I'm just acting crazy, and she goes she goes. She goes, I just want to let you know that I love you and I'm going to see you again, but I'm going to die and I don't want you to see me like that. She said, so please don't go up there. And uh, and then she turned and I remember I could see through her. And she, was, she was like a glowing mist and, and she walked right into my closet. And I remember getting up out of bed and I looked in the closet and there wasn't nothing in there but clothes. And and uh, I woke up the next morning and I told my parents, I said, look, I said, I said, Granny came and seen me last night and she told me not to go to the hospital and see her like that. She said she was going to die and she didn't want me to remember her like that. And they said, well, no, the doctors told us she's getting better. She's going to be all right, you know. And I said, well, you know, I don't want to go up there. Well, they went up there and she had a sudden turn for the worse and, and she ended up dying. And and my parents just kind of freaked out, like, oh my God, you know, so you reckon that could be real? But you know, she looked certainly real. I could see right through her, but she was like a glowing mess. And when she walked in the closet, I actually got out of bed, and walked over to the closet, and I looked in there, and there was nothing in there but clothes. It was just like, 
You know, it was like she she hadn't died in the hospital yet, but yet it was like her like her life life force or essence or whatever had left her body and came and visited me at my home. So, you know, that was that was my first experience with a ghost. You know, and uh, and 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 really, I hadn't I didn't see any other ghosts for quite a while. But I was in the hospital at one point, and there was a there was an old man that my that my my dad and another buddy of his used to go out there and they'd go drinking. They'd take me with them and they'd go basically deer poaching off where this old man lived. And uh, I mean, he lived way out in the middle of nowhere. And, uh, and they would stop and they would drink beer with the old man. And then he would let us go on his property and and shoot deer and stuff. And uh, I was in a I was in the hospital and getting a surgery done. And uh, and they put me in a room with this, and it, and my dad didn't know the old guy was in the hospital, but the, he remembered the old guy. He goes, hey, you remember? He goes, remember us? He goes, what are you doing in here? And he told him, he said that he had, somebody had attacked him, or he thought, or maybe he had fell and hit his head or something, but he was in the hospital. And uh, my dad had a nice conversation with him, and uh, he ended up putting him in the nursing home, and he died there about two weeks later uh, in that nursing home. Well, my dad and... Uh, and his friend named Billy Jack, they went out to go deer hunting out there on his old place. And and they went out there and my, and my dad, you know, he's not one of those people that really believes in ghosts and stuff, but it was late in the afternoon. It wasn't even dark and they were cruising into the property. And when they went by his old house back in at the back of the pasture, there was the old man sitting on his front porch in his rocking chair looking at him. And, and he said both of them just shut up and they didn't say a word to one another and they just drove by the house. He said they were scared to stop. They just drove by the house and the old man was in the rocking chair looking at them and, and he just kept looking at them. And as they drove by, my dad said he looked at them like, well, you, you guys ain't going to stop, you know, like you always do. And uh, he just looked at them like, why aren't you stopping? And, and then when they got by the house, they looked at each other. He goes, "Did you see that?" And he goes, "I sure did." He goes, "He goes." He said, "I swear." He looked at us like, like he was almost pissed off at us that we didn't stop, you know. And he said, "Well, you know, he died, you know, like two weeks ago." And uh, he said, "I'm, I don't know." He said, "I don't know what to do." He goes, "But I saw it. You saw it." And they went in there and look. Uh, they went about looking for their deer. They came back by the old house. And he said, you know, I said, we got to stop. We got to go in there. If nothing else, we'll take a beer in there, open it up, and leave it. You know, and it was creepy. My dad said he went in there and said, man, he was cold chills are running up his back after seeing all that. And they said they left a beer open for the old man. And they said they never saw hiding a hair of him when they went by the house or when they were in the house. And he said they left. And he said, man, it it was scary as heck, you know, doing that. And he he said, but both of them seen him. Said he was sitting there as plain as daylight, staring at him when they drove by that house. And and you know that's the kind of stories that and those guys they were when they when my dad came home he was white as a sheet. You know, <laughs> you could tell that he had seen something really weird. And uh, you know they and they tell that story for a long time. You know, and they never seen it. They never saw him again. You know, so whether he. You know, he died and made his way back to his house, or how he, you know what he did, I don't know. But it was just uh, one of the ghost stories that they talk about around here, you know. And I enjoy sharing it with people that normally wouldn't hear it. You know, that's the kind of stuff well, that's that very interesting. That's very interesting. Um, you know, we 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 have uh, stories like that around here. But let me get back to um, 
your grandma that died. And, and so she's contacting you when she's in that in-between state, telling you not to come up and see her. Um, so I had a similar experience. I wonder if TJ's had uh, loved ones pass in the last couple of years or a few years. Or, but when my mother died, uh, she came and got me, took me actually to the house where I was raised in. And she literally was born in that house. And uh, the whole house was haunted. So she was, she took me by my arm and she's running me around. Now I'm in my astral body and she's dead. So I guess that must be the same dimension. And she's taking me around the house and she's saying, look, there's no more ghosts here. Um, she said, I was the reason why they were coming. And when I died, now the house is clear. And so she was showing me there's all these ghosts here. And she says, she says, but I've held you here long enough now. And so she takes me down to the down the steps, down the hallway, to the front door. And she says, you have to go because if I keep you here too long, it's going to be harmful to you. And she literally pushed me through the front door <laughs> and kind of kicked me. And I came all the way back here to Maui. And I popped back in my body. My astral body joined my physical body. And I... I pulled it up right and went, wow. <laughs> it was like really trippy. So anyway, that's, I wouldn't just add to that. Uh, TJ, do you have any stories about, oh, you had uh, Tom come to you, right? And your sister yeah. and your sister-in-law? Tell I had a lot of people come that. to me, but. Uh, yeah, tell us uh, who came to you when they died. Well, Tom, after he uh, passed, you know, I saw him on his deathbed, passing back into a little baby when he was, you know, he was passing. He knew if he went to the hospital, he was going to pass. And he, you know, we had him in ICU. Wasn't nothing wrong with him, except he had his leg cut off, had diabetes. But uh, they wanted him to go for, he had a spot on his lungs. So the VA told him to go in and get fixed. So I thought it was sort of spooky. He knew this time. If he went in, he wasn't coming back because he was in a wheelchair on wheels and he'd gone down to his sister's to eat. And VA called me, so I took him there and they had a doctor stick something in his lung. And of course, for some reason, we didn't know because we don't know. We trust the hospital and the doctors, but somehow Tom knew he was going to die and he did. But part of him left through the window. I watched it. I watched him watch, uh, look up and smile at somebody. So that made me wonder if we don't all split up because a lot of the things that we study in cosmology and metaphysics is the fact that your body can split up. And um, I have past lives and memories of being, uh, well, we just say a lot of people know their past lives. So, you know, we've been around for billions of years. So I relate to some of those because I have memories and I put it on YouTube too about some of my lives. But watching him split up that way, Later on, he comes to me, and once, and uh, I did a virtual reality with him in St. Louis on a big, he came to me, it's like a lucid dream, but you get up and walk out of that. So I strongly suggest that we don't know really what's going on with our spirit selves. And uh, so, to make a long story short, because uh, we got it all day, but I just soon produced, but talking's okay too, I guess, uh, I like Janet to involve my 
people now I figured out after eight years and I can just sit back and listen and produce. But I saw him on a spaceship. I'm not kidding folks. I'd gone into a dream. So I know I'd laid down and gone to sleep. Then I got up out of a virtual lucid dream and I'm going to get with some of these uh, neuroscientists and stuff about this because I've asked some people to put me under. But seeing your husband over. But we went to St. Louis. Now, you can say, how does a ghost tell you where you're at? I don't know, folks. But we were in St. Louis, and uh, this big ship came down, and he was on it, and I was on it. And uh, it was like this, uh, it was sort of like a Star Trek convention because it was like a big hotel, motel, I would say a big convention, uh, like the Astro Center or something. But it was huge inside. And they had, a, I remember sort of a big, wide hall, like you would see in an air, like uh, maybe Atlanta, you know, where they have these uh, things you stand on and go, go along. They're not escalators, they're walkways that move. But and people were holding plates around towards the rest. It was like the where you eat. But I saw my husband walk uh, to another area, and then there was other people I knew. Now I don't know how he took me on a spacecraft out of my dream into a lucid dream into a reality that I swear is as real as me talking to you right now. So I'm really looking at all that. It's really got me interested and curious in the mind, the soul, and the body, but also how conscious works in different dimensions and stuff. He came to me again, but I'll stop right there for now because we're just going to get used to working with Ronnie because I want this to be Ronnie's show, and I'll produce it, market it, promote it, and Janet's good at syndicating and helping put up pretty pictures and market and promote. But uh, I'm going to give it back to Ronnie. So, Ronnie, I've got other stuff. But later on, we can – Janet likes to break stuff apart or what she calls unpack stories, too. So she may like to help you from time to time on here, you know, as long as she's going to syndicate it. But I'm going to go back to you, Ronnie. This is your idea. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thank you. That Yeah, that's a wild story, you know. It makes you <laughs> – some of the stuff I've seen lately, you know, I seen the other day they pulled me, they pulled my conscious out of my sleeping body, and put me in a clone body on another planet, you know. So our consciousness, uh, you know, so you never know if if you're, you know, up to the point now where I, you never know if it's really a dream or if you're if they're running a simulation on you. So even now I'm more confused now than ever because before when I left my body I knew it and when I returned I knew it but this last time um, they just pulled me out and and then the first thing I knew I arrived somewhere else in in a in a different body and man it was a weird experience and I was and the first thing that happened for 30 seconds I was drunk I couldn't stand up I couldn't do anything I couldn't make my arms work or my legs work and she said it, it takes a takes a little while for your synopsis to align and uh, after about 30 seconds, everything started working normally. But there for about the first 30 seconds, man, it was uh, it was horrible. It was a nightmare being in that. But, yeah, then I realized I'm in a body just like looks just like mine. So, yeah, man, there's no telling when you're that consciousness. You know, they there's so many. They could take it. They could take us and put us back. And, uh, and God only knows how many simulations with it, they've ran on us that we thought were dreams. I completely understand how, 
you know, the ET and the whole consciousness thing could all be rolled in one big ball of wax, you know. But I have a, I have another story when I was a kid. Uh, we have this old lake outside of town out here. It's called Hageman Lake, and, uh, and it's, it's right here in town. It's walking distance for kids. And when I was young, I used to walk down there, and old Miss Hageman, she was like one of the richer families in town. And, I mean, she's one of those old-type women who looked down her nose at you. She did. She thought we were low lives, and she didn't like me or my sister hanging around her grandkids. You know, she always held the attitude that they were a little better than everybody else, and she didn't like them playing with this riffraff. <laughs> and and Miss, I remember Miss Hageman, you know, uh, the grand, her grandkids loved me, and I loved them, and we were, you know, great friends. And uh, and but Miss Hageman was determined, you know, not, not to let me be friends with these kids. You know, she'd always, if she caught them playing with me, she would come down and interrupt us and send them up to their rooms or send them to dinner and send me home. You know, so Miss Hageman was, she did not like me at all. And uh, one time the kids led me into her. She's got a big staircase in this old house. And it's a, like a, almost like a ballroom when you first walk in the house. It was a big winding staircase going up to the second floor. And I walked in there with muddy shoes, and oh, my God, she come completely unglued uh, on them marble floors, me walking around with them muddy shoes on as a kid and uh, muddy tennis shoes. Man, she was mad. And uh, I remember she ran me off that day, and uh, she didn't want me coming back around there. But it was years later, and I was a just a I was a teenager walking around, and me and me and a friend had went fishing, and he lived in the opposite direction. We had finished up our little fishing trip, and and he went to his house, and I was walking back into town, back to my grandmother's place, and I had my fishing pole with me, and I walked by the old Hageman place, and I know that there wasn't nobody lived there anymore, uh, and so I thought, well, you know, I want to look in. I went up there and I looked in the window and uh, it was a the old house was immaculate but it was old and falling apart nobody had lived in it and and i remember i, I thought well i want to go in here and look around you know so I, I i figured the door the door would be locked so i tried the door as I, and and the door opened up and i thought oh my goodness look it's open i looked around there's no furniture or anything in the place and i walked in that thing i didn't get about three steps in there and there, and all of a sudden, coming down that stairwell was old lady Hageman, and and man, she said, "I'll tell you, coming here again with my shoes." <laughs> and she was coming down that stairway at me, and uh, man, I ran out of that door and I slammed that door and I ran, I took off running with my fishing pole and tackle box, and uh, I thought, "Oh my God, uh, she's going to be on the phone to my grandmother." So I so when I got home, I told my grandmother, "I said, man, I said went by the old Hageman place and said." I decided I wanted to go in there and look around. I said, there was no furniture. I didn't figure anybody lived there because there wasn't any furniture in it. And I said, I, I walked in there, and I said, Miss Hageman caught me in there. And I said, boy, she come down the stairway yelling at me, you know. And I said, I was surprised she hadn't called you. And my grandma said, well, you know, you know, she's dead. She died. And I said, what? She goes, yeah, she's been, she's been dead for over a year. And... She goes, yeah, she, you know, they moved away about five years ago, and she's been dead, you know, for quite quite a while now. I said, I swear, Granny, she just chased, she came down that stairway mad as hell at me and ran me out of there. And she said, well, I don't know, maybe in her ghost or something, you know. But it, she said, yeah, I know for a fact the old woman has, is dead. She said, nobody's staying there. 
And I said, well, she's just as mad as she ever was. <laughs> you know, ever what she was. And she'd come down there and run me out again. I mean, <laughs> that would be a good ghost adventure if they ever come to my neck of the woods. If I take them over there, all I have to do is walk in there with muddy feet on it <laughs> and Miss Hagaman, I guarantee, will show up. <laughs> to this day, probably, run me out of there. <laughs> and, uh, but, you know, it's just so many different stories like that around here and, and, I, and I've got another good one too. My sister was an ER nurse. She can't tell the story herself because she'd get in trouble. But she, she could, she could tell me they were they were working on a patient in the emergency room, and they lost him, and and, uh, and they couldn't save him, and he died. And uh, they were getting him ready for transport. They were taking everything off of him. And uh, my sister said, "Man, you know," she, she said, she said her and another nurse sat right there, and she said, "This this thing." She said this thing came up out of the out of this guy's dead body, and she said it had a human figure to it. And she said both her and the other nurse seen it, and she said we just immediately just backed up. She said I backed up till I hit the wall, and the other gal backed up until she hit a table or something. And she said we just couldn't back up any further. And she said this thing rare, raised up out of this uh, this old man that had just passed. And she said, and she goes, and it wasn't human. She said, it looked like a demon. She said, this thing crawled up out of him, and it gave them a dirty look. And it walked to the doorway. And before it walked out of the doorway, it stopped, and it looked back at them. And then it, he, she said it growled at them. They could hear it, like, growl at them before it, it walked down the hallway. And she goes, man, I don't know to this day if, if that man had a demon in him or what was going on with that. She said, I've seen many people pass, but I've never seen anything like that. And, you know, even even Dr. Stephen Greer said that, that he had an encounter like that after somebody had died. It wrecked, the, it wrecked the, the operating room that they were in, you know. So I, I don't know yeah, what was in it. But well, she said we were talking about that on our show yesterday about uh, some people get possessed and, and they have to have an exorcism. So maybe what you what she, that she encountered was, uh, you know, an, an accounting of somebody who had been possessed. And um, I guess the, the possessor, the demon or whatever, got pissed off because his host died. So now he didn't have a place to be. That's fascinating. And she said they were right there at work in the ER and seen it. Both of them saw the same thing, you know. Mm-hmm. And and she could say it was terrifying, you know. She said, "Man, it just scared the crap out of them." You know, they never seen either one of them had never seen anything like that before. And this thing just stared. Yeah, at I wonder them. how many crap. people. I wonder how many people have seen things like that and, and are afraid to report them because they don't want to like your. Your sister can't do that because that's her job, right? And she could lose her job. So. Yeah, she can't say anything about who she's seen or what she's seen or anything like that. So, you know, but I can talk about it. <laughs> I can talk about it. <laughs> right. But she can't. Well, that's why you're going to do a service for everybody who's got stories like that. Now, it'd be great for you to collect them and maybe make a book out of this. I'm sure in the, in the next year or two you'll have enough uh, stories to make a, a book, so I highly recommend you do that. Sounds great. Well, there, you know, so many stories out there. So many people have them, and and uh, you know, a lot of people don't. Well, they'll talk about them, but you know, I understand. You know, they people don't believe them, so they don't they don't say a whole lot about it. You know, 
And, uh, mm-hmm. you, know, but, you know, a lot of times when your loved ones, loved ones die, you do see something, you know, because me and my wife, I lost my first, my, actually she was my third wife. And, and we had, we had communicated like, you know, hey, if, if, you, if I die before you, I'm going to come back and let you know. I'm going to do something so that you'll know that I'm on the other side and you do the same. We had this agreement, right? But it's kind of scary mm-hmm. after it really happens. And my wife, Daddy, in my bedroom floor, her jugular veins burst into her esophagus uh, during a seizure, and she bled to death right there in my bedroom floor. 36 years old. Oh. So I had, I had oh to live God. through that. You know, I had to live through this. And, uh, you know, I had, the blood, I had to clean up the blood on the floor and everything else, you know. So, and... Uh, and and I was wondering, you know, because we had this agreement, you know, and and I went, I went a month without seeing or hearing anything, and then one night she was real bad about when she wanted to talk to me. She would pinch me on the inside of the thigh, and it would hurt like all get out, and it would just make me <laughs> have a conversation. It was the oddest way of waking somebody up for a conversation. I hated it. And I all think of a sudden. <laughs> All of a sudden, I was laying in bed, and I had to, yeah, I really had to come to terms with being able to sleep in the same room that she had died in, you know, and I made myself do it, because I'm one of those kind of guys that's, you know, if you're, if you're, you know, fearful of something, conquer your fear, face your fear, so whether I like it or not, I made myself do it, you know, and uh, so I I slept in this bedroom, and it was nothing, nothing, you know, for 30 days, then all of a sudden, she, I felt this pinch on my inner thigh, and I thought, my goodness, you know, that was, it felt just, I, I almost woke up expecting her to be in the bed, you know, and, and, uh, but nothing. But the next day, broad daylight, I was off, I was laying on the sofa watching TV with my cat, and, and it's in broad daylight, and in the middle of the floor, this rainbow started. It was like this, this rainbow started spinning and changing colors right in the center of my living room floor, and I'm watching it, and the cat, I could see him watching it too. And I was going, my God, what is that? You know, and I looked, I couldn't find anything from the window or anything that were a light like that would be coming. And it just it kept getting wider and wider and wider, you know, and, and then it just stopped. And uh, and I thought, you know, that has to, at the, it, was the, it was the day after the night that she pinched me on the thigh. So I'm like, okay, that has got to be my wife trying to tell me that she's back, you know, mm-hmm. has to be. And uh, the next morning, I got up to go to work, and I had every light on the house off, and I and I closed the door, and I had my lunch pail and my coffee thermos, and I turned around and pulled the door shut, and underneath my door, as I pulled the door shut, I seen a light shine underneath the door, like a, it was like a door inside the house opening and closing, and a, and a light coming from it, you know, and there wasn't no furnace or anything like that that could offer. Come on! There was no excuse for what this light. It was very weird-looking light. Shined underneath the doorway for a second, and then closed again, and it went completely back to dark. And I was like, "Yeah, there's something going on." You know, that's like a doorway. Like Barbara was waiting on me to leave, and then decided to come home and check the place out or something. I guess after I left. Very strange. But you know, it's stuff like that that makes you wonder. You know, there's got to be. More to it than just like a candle blowing out. You know, there's there's more to your afterlife than you could ever imagine. <laughs> you know, so right. that's some of the you know. Well, I'll share one. Um, that that was a fascinating, actually. You know, so 
she may still come and get it. She probably six months figure out how to do that. I think when you're dead, you don't always know how to do it. So um, they learn how to communicate with the living. But I had one, when I was growing up, my house was haunted. And uh, my parents liked to go to church every Sunday. And I, I was required to go to Sunday school, but then I didn't have to go to the formal church part. And I only did two and a half blocks away from the church, so I just walked home. And I liked to watch the Sunday morning comics. It was in Pittsburgh, and they had bunch of really good comics. Uh, one of them was H.R. Puss and stuff. So I'd be sitting in the big overstuffed chair uh, looking at the uh, television, and behind me was a doorway going into the dining room, and uh, around the corner was a uh, staircase going upstairs. And I would feel something like watching me. And I turned around, and there's a head. This is in broad daylight. And this disembodied head was floating there. And it was an old man with a mustache and a beard. And he was um, had this silly grin on his face, kind of mischievous. And at first, I'd see that and scream, and I'd duck down. But, you know, I was conflicted. I didn't, I didn't want to have to go to church and stay there because I really got bored in the service, right? And so I, I had to face my fears. Like I said, you have to face your fears. So it was my house. There was nowhere to go. Either I come home or I live out in the street. So I came home, and eventually I got to the point where I got angry. My anger, I, I, I channeled my anger, and I would see that thing, and he would duck behind the and, and he, So I got, I, he would duck behind the doorway. And so I eventually got brave enough, and I, I would say, you son of a bitch. <laughs> and I ran and followed it, as, and it went all the way upstairs. And I didn't follow it upstairs, but it went all the way upstairs, and it ducked to the left. Now, it, to the left at the top of the stairs was a second stairwell that went from the back bedroom in the top at the end of the stairs that you could see into the back bedroom up there down to the kitchen. So there's an old farmhouse from 1840s, and it had uh, two stairwells that kind of connected uh, wrapped around each other internally in the middle of the house. So um, I saw him for years and years and years and years. And eventually, when I was in my late 30s, just like we're doing now, I start sharing some ghost stories with my brother and sister. And so, lo and behold, they had seen him as well. So you, you may think you're the only one, <laughs> and I'm... I'm crazy or something. But then you find out, oh, my God, you saw him too. So I'm going to pass the talk to stick back to one of you two. Awesome. That's great. You know, there's a, this this house I live here in Rangel, Texas is like, it's kind of weird because it's like one of the, it's one of the older houses in town, and then they've added on to it, and then they, then they got added on to a third time. Then I've actually added a bedroom onto it, so it's been added onto like four times. So the original house is actually very small, and back in those days it was. I mean, it wasn't like it was a bedroom, a small living room, a kitchen, and that was it. And I mean, uh, and anyway, there, we know for a fact there there was an there was an old woman, and they they told us that there was an old woman that had died. She was sick 
and there wasn't anything they could do for her. They put a hospital bed in the living room over here, and and she laid it. She laid in the bed and died, looking out of the window at the street. And they said she was the nicest old woman you'd ever meet. And so so we're always joking, you know. Well, we had this psychic lady come over, and she said, "Man, you know, I'm picking up on this old. There's an old woman here, and she lived here a long time." And and we were like amazed, you know, like yeah, yeah, we know exactly who you're talking about. <laughs> and uh, and then we told her she goes and she goes right in my area where I'm at, you know, something strange, you know, something happened with her, and I'm going, yeah. I said, okay, right there where you're sitting is where she supposedly died, looking out of that window. And she Ooh. goes, oh. she said I can feel her, you know. And she she said she likes she said she likes you guys. I said I get the sense that she likes you guys. And, and she said, except except your daughter. And we have I don't know she is probably a 15 year old daughter that lives here. And she goes she doesn't care much for her. <laughs> and my daughter's kind of cocky, and she was sitting there, and she goes, "Well, I don't care much for her, you know." And she said, "Well, screw that old, <laughs> screw that old bitch." <laughs> and when she said that, there was six of us sitting here watching. She she was sitting there on a coffee table with her legs crossed, and I kid you not, she got shoved so hard across the living room floor with all six of us oh watching. Oh my god. She hit the floor and slid. She hit the floor and probably slid five or six feet. It was like she got, you know, you could tell that she got, it was like a, a uh, what do you, I know yeah. it's like a poltergeist. Yeah. yeah, that's like a poltergeist. It's like when you see that kind of physical activity, you know, uh, she got shoved across the living room floor, you know, wow. and slid across the floor. You know, and there's and we were and there was six of us sitting there watching it, and we were going, "There's no way that there's no way, no possible way that she could have just fell." Or and you could tell by the way she was sitting that she didn't fall. It was like she was purposely shoved, violently. Right. <laughs> oh well, she didn't get hurt, did she? No, she wasn't hurt, but she. <laughs> we were like, "Well, you better watch what you say," you know. Yeah, you better watch. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, have a, I have a story, a follow-up story for the, uh, the my disembodied cat, which is kind of it's it's interesting when you get through for correlation. So, so uh, that was I was a young, you know, uh, adolescent when all those things were happening. You know, I was still watching cartoons. So fast forward to my teenage years, when I was about thirteen, I'd say. And um, I had my friends one day. We were hanging out. My parents always disappeared. I don't know. They uh, they kind of trusted me. I was the youngest of three, but I was very mature. So I could be alone in the house, and I didn't have to, you know, have babysitter or somebody watching me. And this was the 60s. It was free thing. So I had, they left, and I had a bunch of my uh, friends come over. And I always wanted proof. So I said, let's have a seance. Now, Larry was the seventh son of the seventh son type of thing. He said, I've been told I have these abilities, so let's do this. So uh, we darkened the room, put a little candle in the middle. There's a bunch of teenagers who were sitting in a circle. And he has a, a system where he puts a um, pencil or writing utensil in his left hand with a piece of paper. 
and then uh, he closes his eyes, and, and then the, the ghost or entity will right through Mrs. Left Hand, his non-dominant hand. So we're doing this technique, and um, he's saying things. So I guess the, the uh, entity is speaking to him, and he's translating to us. And then he's writing, and then it's like, okay, let's turn the lights up. So we can see that his, his hand is moving, and there's, and, but he's, there's not enough light to see what, what you're, what's going on the paper, right? So we, okay, well, what happens to the wrong side? And, and we uh, put the lights on, and lo and behold, there's, now I hadn't told anybody about the dis, uh, disembodied head, right? There's the guy. Uh, and he's got a, a beard and a mustache. And, and he said, oh, yeah, I remember this guy. He said, he, no, there's, a, there's, a, there's someone here. It's a male. Um, what's your, what do you want? Well, I'm the builder of this house. Now, this house was built in 1840 in Pennsylvania. It was a racial farmhouse. And he had lived in the house through the Civil War. So anyway, uh, there we are, looking at a drawing of this disembodied head that I had seen for years when I was sitting at home, uh, you know, watching cartoons. <laughs> so ah. that was an interesting correlation. Oh, and then one more thing. So Larry, now his uh, mother was from the hills of uh, the Carolinas. I forget if it was North Carolina or South Carolina. But she's kind of like a... Country hillbilly. There's a bunch of um, I, I don't know what they're they came over in the 16th, 17th, 1800s. They're kind of back hill hillbilly, uh, West Virginia and Virginia coach. Uh, so you know, she she kind of is a um, very interesting character. She's very uh, animated and she speaks in a, in a twang, right? And she's and so she's she's relating to us about how well, I went to Larry's house and she's telling she's it's been a mean ghost story, right? <laughs> and she's telling us how when she was a kid they were uh, in a in a, um, a wagon, horse drawn wagon, and it was around Halloween time and they were going on you know in the autumn they were going on a, a um, what's it they used to do like little dances and stuff and they would do some harvest kind of like. Um, uh, what was that called? Remember that that, that series where the the guy Sandy, uh, Sandy Hawkins Day, right? Sandy Hawkins. We did it in Tennessee. We right, 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 right. We'd have go out at some big house and have a, a ride with hay in it and take people down the road. And uh, I'd actually do psychic readings, Janet, at Halloween parties, and every year for about five years, when me and Tom would go up, where they made boots. It was a secret where they made white lightning, but that's one of oh, my yeah. parts of my lives. But I know what you're talking about. But <laughs> probably Ronnie does too. But this was up in the hills of Tennessee, and uh, I lived right. Uh, right there in Chattanooga, Tennessee. So we'd go up to friends of ours that made white lightning up there on the trail up to North Carolina. But yeah, we can tell all kind of stories like that, and the UFO stories. I want to tell some of those too. But uh, keep going, Janet. Right. But, yeah, Halloween stories could be part of this, Ronnie, you know, and our get-together. Yeah. I mean, I'd like to meet you, so I hope we can 
I don't know if Halloween's the best time, but once in a while, I hope to meet y'all. Oh, Janet, also uh, the Roswell stories that go in because Ronnie goes to the Roswell thing. So on the hour, we'll right. talk about that. I want to want him to talk about his uh, adventure in Roswell because I've been there too. All right, I'm on mute. Go ahead, Joan. Okay, let me just finish this. So anyway, they're on a high ride, a hay ride, a bunch of kids and some adult with the horses. And all of a sudden, she said, this banshee came. I go, what's a banshee? And uh, so that gets into the cryptoid. So there's some kind of wolf-like being, but it wasn't a wolf. It was bigger than a wolf. It was kind of snarly, and it's running after them, and the kids are screaming, and they're saying, get out of here, get out of here. So uh, they had to run from this banshee. So, you know, that was the first I heard about banshees. But when I went to a writer's conference, now I'm in my late 20s, early 30s, I go to this writer's conference, and it's in West Virginia, and they're talking about the banshees and all the different creatures in the, the hills of West Virginia. So so that's another part that we can go into. But let me go back to her son, Larry, who's the seventh son of the seventh son. So he's telling me how he and his sister were sitting in the back of a, a wagon going south to visit mom's family, wherever it was, in Carolinas or Virginia or something. And um, so they had a Ouija board. They were entertaining themselves in the back, and they and they got in touch with a ghost, and the ghost said, and they said, who are you? And he said, well, I'm, I died in the Civil War. And, uh, and he said, I can't rest until... You find my bones and bury them. So the kids told the, the mom and dad and the little brother, and so the whole family agreed to follow where the, this ghost that he was, uh, you know, down a back road somewhere as they're, being, you know, going down the highway to go back to visit her folks who were still alive at that time. So they followed the directions, and lo and behold, they found this uh, dead Civil War soldiers, they found his bones, and they dug a hole and they buried him, and then uh, he went to that piece. Okay, so I'm done with my story. Back <laughs> to you, Ronnie. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I've, uh, I've got another creepy story that really creeped me out here. I was uh, I was probably in my 20s and working here in town, and we, we worked with a guy named Harley Casey, and, and he was an oil field worker, big out, rugged guy, a no nonsense, no mess around kind of guy you don't want to mess with. He's just big and stout and mean, and ain't afraid of nothing, you know. And he had these two twin daughters, and you know I don't know how old they were. They were six or seven years old, I think, and and they were always talking about their invisible friend, you know, their invisible friend, always talking, chatting it up with them. And he's like, man, are these girls nuts? And they said, oh, don't worry about it. It's just a phase, you know. They'll grow out of it. And uh, anyway, they were just always going on about their visible friend. And they moved in across town to another uh, another house here in town. It was a two-story house. And uh, and he heard them talking, and they said, uh, they said, well, said, I said, Dad, give it, uh, their invisible friend came with us. You know, he went with us, you know. So I thought we were going to get rid of him, but no. I said, apparently he hung in there. And so they're talk, always talking about their visible friends. So he heard them making that racket up there. And he said he was, went up the stairs. They're going to let them stay upstairs in the bedroom up there. So he heard them, it was time for bed, and he heard them making noise up there. And he's going to go up there and tell them it's time to turn the lights out and go to sleep. So... 
said he went walking up the stairs and all of a sudden he looked over there and uh he walked in the room and they were talking it up and, and the chair was rocking and he said what and that chair he said look and said that as soon as that all of a sudden the chair just stopped and uh and he's like oh my goodness and they, and and then all of a sudden they, all all the, the two girls just looked at the same time at the window and he said oh you scared him you know he went out the window and he said he said, what went out there? He said, your invisible friend? He goes, yeah, he went out there. He scared him. He went out the window. And Arlie went over to the window, and he looked out of the window, and there was two red eyes outside the window looking back at him. And and he, he said, man, he said, he seen those red eyes, and then all of a sudden they took off. You know, it was like, it was like wow. something looked at him turn and took off. And he goes, man, he slammed that window down, locked that window and he said, and he said the next day they were packing up. He said we're moved, we're getting out of here. He goes, we're not staying here. <laughs> and he wasn't messing around. He moved out of that house. They just got moved in that house. And he oh, said, wow. no, hell no. He said no. He goes, when I seen that, he said we're done here. And he packed his stuff up and they moved out of that house. Uh, but the oh, girls, wow. they, they had that friend for years and they could see him, you know, when nobody else could. And, well, uh, when Arlie you said, moved with uh, them, if that was there, if that was their friend, yeah, the, the ghosts would just go with them. So you can't escape them when they're, they're your friend yeah. like that, following you around. Yeah, uh, Arlie said, he goes, no, he goes, I'm out of here. He goes, this house is haunted. <laughs> he goes, I'm not, I'm not sticking around here. But but the girls are telling you that. The house wasn't haunted, the girls were haunted. <laughs> yeah, the girls, the girls they're, they're adults now, and I still like to ask them from time to time, you know. They have a kind of a hard time remembering it. It's almost like they're blocking it oh, out. Oh, wow. You know? And they said, yeah, yeah, I remember, yeah, I remember, you know, that we'd seen him. We could see him. We could talk to him. He could he could talk to us. You know, he was our friend. You know, he played with us. And, uh, they were, you know, they were really had a good relationship with him. And uh, man, but Arlie, it creeped him out. <laughs> it, it, it creeped us out too because we picked him up every day at work there, you know. It's like, oh. and you know, we look what? at that window, there's nothing outside that window. I mean, it's a straight drop to the ground, there's no ledge or nothing that anybody could stand on, you know. And he said those eyes were red, glowing red and floating out there, and then it looked like it turned away from him and took off. Whatever it was, glowing red eyes. Yeah, yeah. That'll freak out the straight people. <laughs> well, um, I got another one. Um, I had a girlfriend that was living with me as a foster sister. My, I was the youngest of three, and my little brother and sister were gone, and we had a couple extra bedrooms, and she was having trouble with her stepfather, who was uh, frankly trying to molest her. So she told me about it, and I said, well, let me talk to my parents, and my parents agreed to let her come um, live with us because uh, my girlfriend's mom, I don't know what happened. She wasn't protecting her daughter, let's just say that, and she didn't want to get it. She didn't want to get a divorce from this guy, but she realized he was a creep. So it was like a win, win, win. So she moved in with me, and now, there was a, that stairwell. I talked about the stairwell that went from the top room back to the kitchen. That was closed on both ends, the top and the bottom. It was locked. And I was, my mother always said, do not ever open that door. And my mother could be a scary lady. We never wanted to be by her. So 
I just said, no, I won't open it, Mom. I promise I won't open it. So my girlfriend, who did not have that same understanding with my mother, uh, waited till my mother was at church, and my father was at church, and I was sleeping because in the summer we would stay up and, you know, go to bed at dawn. So it was around noon, and I was still sleeping. And my parents were going to be in church till about 2 o'clock. So she gets out of bed, and she goes down to the kitchen. My mother had put a dryer in the kitchen blocking the, the, the door for the stairs. So she moved it out of the way. And uh, so I'm up in bed while this is going on, sleeping. And I, I suddenly feel, I wake up, I pulled up right. I, I, and it wasn't a, a verbal scream, but I hear a psychic scream in my head. Help, help, help. And it's Marion. And it was Marion. And I ran down, and um, the bathroom door was closed off the kitchen. And I ran over to the bathroom door, and uh, she still wasn't verbally screaming, but I hear this psychic scream, and I said, what's going on? What's wrong? What's wrong? And she said, look. So all of a sudden, I, I turned around behind me, and there was some, um, I don't know if you remember Poltergeist. Who that Stephen Stillman's Poser guys, and it's that slarmy beast that's like, <laughs> and it, it, the doors open to the stairwell, which I had never seen the door open, and then this this beast is like snarling, and suddenly they, all the stuff in the room, like everything that was upside down, was spinning around in a vortex and flying around, spoons and glasses, and I just. Lit down all the way to the floor, and I'm just in a primal scream. I'm, I'm screaming because I can't believe, and I'm some kind of shocked. Now, two and a half blocks away at the church is my my mother and father, and my father is a deacon, so he was one that would teach people and help out. And um, my mother gets up and goes in the back room where the deacons would sit so they could help people coming in and out so they do it quietly. And she says, we have to leave right now. Now, my dad always obeyed my mother. My mother was the driving force of the family. So uh, he instantly went and got the car. And my mother never learned to drive. So he drove her home. And he just pulls up to the house. She jumps off the car and runs up the steps. And she comes all the way in the back room. Now, here's this big thing zooming around. And somehow with her her energy, her psychic energy. Anyway, she takes this being and lashes it with her energy, so to speak, and pushes it back in the stairwell, and she slams it, and then she comes over, and I'm on the floor, and by that time, Marianne had opened the bathroom door, and she looked at both of us, and she said, I told you, kids, never open that door. <laughs> That's the end of my story. Back to you. I guess the ghosts don't like me telling my story. It kicked me off. <laughs> well, let's do some UFO stories for a little while. Those are ghost stories. I I mostly thought you were going to do UFO stories, so that's sort of why I, I tell people. Told a story. Did you, I just told a story. Did you hear my? Did you hear me tell the yeah, story? Yeah, I was here. Well, he didn't hey, hear your story, the, but he can go back and record what he didn't hear. Oh, It'll you be didn't here. hear what I just said. I did. Uh-oh. 
I did. Okay. About, but, uh, hey, uh, Ronnie, uh, I know you've got a whole bunch of UFO stories about visiting out there, but tell the cow story because I like that cow story. Janet hadn't heard it. Ah, okay. Yeah, it was a. Uh, it was like a, I'd been seeing a lot of. <laughs> I'd been seeing a lot of lights, it's just mystery lights, you know, stuff that's amazing, the unexplainable lights uh, moving about the trees, and you couldn't go out there on a Wednesday night, it seemed like, without seeing something. And and I almost got to where I was looking forward to see what see what I was going to encounter on Wednesday nights. That was the first night I worked of the week. I'd usually work two or three nights depending on my schedule. But that Wednesday night, it was like I couldn't go out there without seeing some Wednesday night. So and it was a Wednesday night, and I just I was I was just waiting to see what showed up this week. And uh, I was uh, cruising uh, in my truck to get a load down south of uh, I-20 over here in North Central Texas. Uh, I was going south from Cisco, Texas, on the interstate down towards a little town called Rising Star, about 20 miles south. And I was headed down this long stretch of highway. Uh, was it? And there was a lot of cars behind me. And uh, all of a sudden, and I don't know why I didn't see it or notice it, but there was a there was a row. There's six huge lights way up in the sky uh, over the road in front of me. I mean, I was like, what in the world is that? And where did that come from? It just showed up out of the blue. And I was looking to see if it was reflections off my glass. I was sticking my head out of the window, you know, and it was still there. And I was like, man. And I I even seen a car pulled over like they were looking at it, you know, and they they were pointing at it. And I was like, man, I'm not the only one seeing it. There's people pulling off the highway looking at it. So I just kept cruising down the highway, and there was a lot of traffic on the road and, and a lot of cars behind me and stuff passing me. And But as I got further down there, there was a big church down there, and, and it seemed like all the traffic turned off at the church. I guess it was just about church time or something. So everybody, all of a sudden, the road went from pretty crowded to, like, nothing. It was, like, just, you know, nobody on the road but me. And I'm uh, cruising down down this highway 183 south of Cisco, Texas, towards the little town of Rising Star, and looking at these big old six bright lights up there in the sky. Then all of a sudden, three more decided to come on. And, and this, they weren't like lights. There was like large areas of illumination. It was like illumination shining out of a huge opening. And these are gigantic openings. I mean, it's, the openings seemed like they were big enough to fly a plane into each one of them. And so these things, I mean, it was certainly unnatural and i couldn't think of anything you know helicopters couldn't have a light that big on them you know and i did i've seen helicopters flying to dias air force base in abilene before and you could hear them from miles away but it's easily identifiable as helicopters but this was just odd looking and there was dim lights when they were gigantic in size and all of a sudden Nine of them finally had came on, and it stretched far across the highway. I mean, it had it looked like they stretched a mile across the sky down the road ahead of me. And I was like, what in the world could that be? And I just kept watching it, and all of a sudden, three of the lights traveled together, broke off in a straight line, and they traveled, uh, they traveled down, descended to a, a field on the, uh, to my left out of my driver's side window. And, and it started descending. They didn't go all the way to the ground, but they stopped what seemed like, I don't know, maybe uh, 100 yards in the air, 200 yards in the sky. And then I could see this. there's a blue beam shining out of it all the way to the ground. 
and it was a dark blue beam. It wasn't a. It was. It was just bright enough that you could see that it was some sort of beam coming out of it. And then all of a sudden, I looked out there on the ground, and there's something. There's a. There's a, a greenish yellow light glowing, and in the, in this glowing light, I could see it looked like a person. But this person looked like it had like a bobblehead on a huge head for the size of for the skinny body, but it had like a huge head and this green glowing light around it. And I thought, my God, this is the strangest thing I've ever watched. And I'm looking around trying to find a camera. There's a, I'm in a spare truck and, uh, and there's an accident camera in most of the trucks. But in this spare truck, I couldn't find the accident camera because I was trying. I was trying to drive, trying to find the accident camera and trying to watch all this going on at the same time so i had a lot going on and i couldn't finally i realized that i went in this truck and it's a spare truck and and so there wasn't no camera in the thing i just gave up on being able to get a picture of it and i and just decided i'd watch it and i and the thought of just i was getting close to where the the thing was out in the field it looked like it was about a quarter mile away out in the field it was close enough that i could you know it, i wouldn't ride upon it but it was far enough away that i could see what was going on and uh, I could see there was there was, some, it was a field, but there was a sparsely scattered trees out in the area. And I could see that not far from where the humanoid-looking thing was, there was a tree. And I could see the glow on the tree uh, around this thing. And it was out in the field close to the tree, but it wasn't under the tree. And then I could see the blue light. And, and then I noticed that, that in the blue light, about 30 feet off the ground, there was something darker of the light and and it looked like it was moving and i couldn't really tell what it was but there was it was about 30 feet up and then all of a sudden it came into focus i guess it maybe it spun around to where i got a better look at it but it was a cow and it was being lifted up about 30 feet up in the air and it was whipping its head from side to side and it was it, it wasn't it wasn't straight up and down like if you had a harpooned a cow or you had a roped a cow and you had picked it up the weight of the carcass would like just make it almost like a teardrop you know, it wasn't like that. It was like the the front end was lower than the back end, but the back end wasn't being wasn't hanging perpendicular like it would if you had roped it or harpooned it or anything like that. It was floating up very odd. The head was down, and the cow was whipping his head from side to side. And when I seen that in that blue light, it just at that point I knew that I didn't have any business stopping and watching anything. I just really wanted to get the heck. And I looked up at the lights. That was over me, and I couldn't see them. I don't think they disappeared. I think I drove under them. I just thought I thought I was underneath whatever it was, and you couldn't see the lights from there. I'd gotten into a position where the lights just couldn't be visible on that. I could still see the lights on the craft over the field that had the blue beam coming out of it, but the lights over my head, it was like I had to be underneath this thing. And I thought, man, you know, if I if I hang around here, I'm going to be just like a cow. I'm going to be next on the list. And so, man, I just put my foot in it and I just headed down the road and I kept watching my mirrors and making sure that same one followed me and I, I'd seen everything I wanted to see for that night and uh and like I said they asked you know what happened to the cow do you see a carcass no I I have no idea what happened to the cow I don't know if it got re- returned if it got taken if it got uh, mutilated I have no idea what happened to the cow uh you know like I said, the the next the next time I went down there was several days later. You know, I didn't see any buzzards or anything like that down there. I have no idea what happened to the cow at at ever. You know, whatsoever happened to the cow, and 
and uh, I filed a MUFON report, but I didn't. Uh, I had this friend. He said, "Do not tell them everything. <laughs> they will never let you drive a truck again." So I reported it, and you know, I got the date, and I reported seeing some lights and stuff like that. But it was a very edited MUFON report. You know, there was no way I was going to put that I had seen a cow getting lifted. You know. In there because I was like, no, 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 that's not if I want to keep driving a hazmat truck. You know, you don't want to be talking like that. That's not the guy my boss wants working for him driving a hazardous material truck. And so, I, anytime I fill out a move on report, it's very edited down uh, to the point where I can look at it and I can, people can tell that I seen something, just wasn't sure what it was, you know, that kind of thing. And it keep, helps me keep track of the date and the time and all that stuff. So it's, that's what MUFON does. It's very good at cataloging UFO sightings. But I don't know if everybody's telling everything. I know in my case, at that time, it was very edited down. So Yeah, they that, they, they like the, to separate what they choose to believe uh, is real versus... Janet calls it the nuts and bolts, but uh, uh, I guess... Uh, it's some of us oldies that started doing real investigations back in the day for the government and different organizations in the history of the UFOs. And it does, you know, we had KUFOs too, but we had a lot of them before that. Jan Aldrich came on and did a series with me for several weeks and the UFO association on here. So listen to Jan Aldrich. He sort of shows uh, the progression of how they went from the old days as a historian you know, and all the different UFO groups. But we've got UFO Association now. Uh, I want to rebuild it with uh, uh, the way it should be with J. Allen Heineck and Stan and Dr. Bruce McAbee and different Don Berliner, people like that, and uh, then build up from there. You know, they well, studied know. the Roswell forward. Oh, oh it's, it yeah. was on the hour we missed it. But uh, Janet, are you going to stay with us the last hour or not? Yes or no? Do you know? It uh, just depends on when my my workers come, but I'll I'll be here as long as I can. And if I All have right, to step so we'll, away, I'll come back. Okay, well, Ronnie, uh, uh, I don't mind producing this weekly and archiving it, folks. Uh, if y'all want to show up and tell your stories with Ronnie, Ronnie, you can be the big promoter and all that if you ain't going to believe this. Because I told Ronnie that was a good name. For, of course, we said sh- the S word afterwards because as <laughs> truck drivers, we used to, when I'd go in all the truck stops, we'd sit around and entertain each other. And, and somebody would say that, but you got so used to it, depending on how how well you knew the people. But a lot of the new ones, we'd break in the initiation all over the road in the United States, at least eight years I was in, by people coming and sitting down that were new truck drivers. And then somebody would say, you ain't going to believe this. It would say, you know, cow dung, you know what I'm saying? And uh, to see what would happen. And the young people would always look real curious. And we we knew some truck story was going to come up, right? Like even the cow story, right, right. or something. So that's how I talked to Ronnie about it, and he said, yeah, paranormal, but UFOs, and we could blend everything, couldn't we, Ronnie? Well, you did today with your ghost stories and stuff, and people that show up at our club, and hopefully we'll grow our club, folks. I'm trying to grow uh, my author's club, and Janet writes books, and I write books, and Ronnie writes books, and uh, we'll have a mention um, maybe on the hours in the future and stuff about that, but... uh, UFO stories, ghost stories, all that's good. Anything folklore, folk life, you know, that kind of stuff. All right. Well, Janet says she'll stay a while, Ronnie. What you want to do now? Because we can tell whatever, I guess. 
Well, I can I can uh, I can tell. But part part of uh, there's a there's an aspect of the uh, the it's right after the large craft Passover on March the second, twenty eleven. Uh, the one that I got pictures of and stuff, and the craft approached me and scared the hell out of me. Uh, there's a there's an aspect to the story I don't get to talk about just because it ta- it takes so long to tell the story that this that this this part of the story don't get don't get included a lot but it, this was a it's it's another it was like the third of the craft sightings that I had in a one hour period you know the second one being the one mile mothership that flew right over the top of me but after the mothership flew over me and had left. And it was it was time to leave the location. I, I had I had my truck loaded. And I was leaving the location, and I had went five miles down the road. And there's a double wide trailer house out here. It's a farmhouse, and uh, and uh, there's some there's a farmer lives in it, and his land is all around him, plowed fields, all around him. And uh, and and I'm going down the road, and I've just seen all this stuff. So I'm you know of course I'm scanning the skies like crazy, trying to figure out where everything went. Cause I know they they probably still out there. So I get to this double wide this double wide charter house. Probably sits about 300 yards off the pavement. And I can't really drive my truck up to the house. But when I looked at the house, it looked like a, a dim star over the top of it. And I thought, man, that is not it. That looks way too close to be a star in the distance. And uh, so I I slowed the truck down. And I stopped at these people's driveway in my truck. Then I, I got my spotlight and I started shining my spotlight at this star. Well, sure enough, this thing it wasn't a star. It, it was something over the top of these people's double wide trailer house, and it was probably uh, maybe a hundred feet above their house. And when, and when I shined the light on this thing, I couldn't see a craft, but when I shined the light on this thing, the it decided it it decided it was time to leave, and uh, this. These triangle, there's a triangle opening in the bottom of this thing, and it had round circular lights uh, all along the triangle, the triangle opening. Now, the triangle opening on this thing was big enough that you could have put a Cessna airplane in it, and this is right over the top of these people's house. Now, the craft was so dark that I couldn't see what the craft looked like, but I could, I could literally stand there and look, and the lights. The round lights that was incorporated into the triangle opening on the bottom of it were bright enough that it was. I could see the light inside the crap. I could actually see inside the crap, whatever the heck it was. And it had this most amazing array of plumbing network. It looked like the inside of a, a Porsche race car or something like that. It had turbo lines all over the wall. It had. And it and it's it spun into a at one point it spun into a a sight a, a tight circle like a cochlea of the ear and the inner eardrum and uh, there was just all this stuff built right onto the walls of the craft I mean it wasn't anything it it absolutely looked alien it had, there was nothing it it hadn't looked like a human had touched any part of the inside of this thing but it was lit up in there I could look right up in there and I could see the inside of the UFO. And, uh, I mean, I didn't see a bunch of open do- rooms or anything like that. I couldn't see any rooms. All I could see was plumbing on that was attached to the walls of the craft that almost looked like an internal, um, I don't know, like a living, some, like something living, like a rib cages, stuff like that looking stuff, man. It was just freaky looking. 
And I had my phone in my hand, and I was trying to get that thing to take a picture. The memory was plumb full. It was locked up. There was nothing I could do to get a picture. It would have been the best picture that I had taken out of the whole thing. Because I, this thing just, you could, I could hear it humming. It just slowly moved away from the house. It didn't take off quickly or nothing. It just, there was a hum to the thing, and it just moved away. And I watched it the whole way until I couldn't see up in it anymore. But I was sitting right there looking up inside this UFO. And this thing was trying to disguise itself like it was a star in the distance. But when I was looking at it, and after seeing all those UFO and that mothership just fly over me, I was, you know, I was like, no, this is not, you know, this is something right on the top of these people's house. And, it, and I, I didn't know these people from anything. I don't know who these people are, you know. Never met them, don't know their names, but I was, had real concern over what the heck was happening to those people inside that house. I mean, they had a pickup outside their house that was running. It was running. It had the tail lights on. There was lights on the house. There was a porch light on. I mean, there was definitely there was definitely somebody home, and they had no clue that there was a giant UFO right above the top of their house, and God only knows what it was doing. But I had a genuine concern for these people, what was going on. Later, I went back. You know, this thing moved away, and I think it was a few days later, I went back up there, and I and I was in my personal vehicle, and I actually drove up to the house, and I showed the lady some of the pictures I had caught, and I told her the story about me stopping in their driveway and looking at their house. And uh, the lady was really interested, and she just kind of freaked out a little bit. <laughs> and she said, well, you know, their grandmother used to live with them, and she used to always talk about the lights. She said the lights. And her, her bedroom went and looked over the field. There's no road over there or anything. She said the lights came and see me again last night. She said the lights came right up to the window, you know. And they said the, the woman told them that for years, and they just, you know, thought she was nuts or something. You know, they didn't really believe it. But after hearing my story, you know, she goes, well, I wonder if that's what my mother was talking about. She used to talk about the lights would come across the field all the time and stop right at her window, you know. And I was like, yeah, it may have been something too, because I showed her the pictures of what I seen over there. It sure, it's, amazingly, it seemed like they didn't live there much long. <laughs> Maybe they decided to leave or move somewhere else. But wow. that was it. That was pretty scary seeing seeing that right over the top of their house and wondering what is it doing? What is it doing over their these people's home? And they're oblivious to it. They were. I don't know if they they didn't. When I asked her, did anything weird happen? She goes, no, we don't remember anything weird happening or nothing like that. So they were just sitting in their house doing what they thought they should be doing, and this giant UFOs placed itself right over the top of their home. And I had a know. similar. Can you can you hear me? I, I lived at a, a state college, which is your Penn yeah, University, uh, in, in my second marriage, and I had a. Um, a house that was the, built out in the middle of farm fields, so they were they were starting to move into farm country and build these uh, little housing communities, and they'd be little call to check, and then they would go back out to the highway. So my house, there was nothing behind it, but farm fields. And the same thing happened to me. I'm sound asleep in my bed. It's the middle of the night. There's nobody out there. There's no tractors. Nobody's doing anything. And these lights would come up, and they would come right up to the, the bedroom where I was sleeping with my husband at the time, and it would completely fill up the house. It was like they were, it was like 
you know, it was it was spreaded in a vehicle, right? But there's no road. There was nothing that could drive up to the house. You would see tractors or things. So same thing. So I wonder if there was something going on like what you were describing, but nobody was awake to witness it, or they had maybe zapped everybody so nobody was awake to, you know, report what happened. But that happened several times. And then one time, I couldn't move. I was, like, paralyzed. And my husband, I, I could feel, I could sense that he wasn't there because you couldn't, you know, when, it wasn't a king bed, it was a queen bed. You could feel their body heat and, and until I was awake but I was frozen. And I go, oh, he's not there. He's gone. What's going on? But I never did get clarity about what was actually going on because, of course, they, whatever, they blank you out, then you wake up the next day and it's like, oh, my God. And that's me. <laughs> so, anyway, that's uh-huh. one of my stories. What about you, Chief Jay? You had some weird well, things. My neighbor said that, uh, well, I had a double-wide trailer uh, out in the woods, Ronnie, and a cedar house. Uh, It was really nice. It was my first time I bought with Tom out in the woods of Kentucky. But my neighbors, uh, they were friends of ours, and they really wanted to buy a trailer and move down from us, so they did. And the older woman, she had uh, grown up in the coal mines out there. In uh, it's Ohio County, Kentucky, around Beaver Dam and Hartford, and uh, she told me about some Bigfoot stories, and I didn't believe her. But over the years, she took me out to where way up in the mount, uh, well, where where uh, it was up above a Rosine, and uh, there was where they would have coal, and they'd have a bell that ring. They'd usually just have like a little little church, and a, uh, the church would be where they taught school during the week. But um, anyway, this was way far away from there. But uh, she moved it down from me, so she seemed to be okay, you know. But she said over my house every night, she well, every morning she'd get up 4.30 to 5.30 to watch this UFO that just sit on over the top of my double wide. And now you tell a story <laughs> like that, too. So that's sort of spooky, but she was spooking me out, but I, it... She didn't come on tell me for a while, and finally her kids dropped it to me. Of course, they were in their late 20s and told me they weren't supposed to tell me because they were scared I'd scare them away or something. But uh, she liked just getting up and watching the UFO, big old UFO over my house. And then finally the kids told me, so I went and I went down and talked to her, and uh, she admitted it. She said, yeah. I didn't want to say nothing because I was scared uh, you'd, you know, not you'd scare them away or, or something. So uh, that's all she said about it. But she, I said, well, are they doing anything or can you see? She says, no, it just every day. You know, she says, I get up and there it is. And I'm like, okay. So I, I don't, I didn't know what, to, I, I know it sounds funny, but I, I didn't know what else to say. I mean, what can you say? Yeah, it's there. She didn't know nothing about it, but she gets up to drink her coffee to watch the UFO. So, anyway, but yeah, I've got lots of stories. You were her entertainment. Yeah, just over her house. She's passed now, but she's the same lady that uh, told me about the Bigfoot uh, out that would go, come listen to the fiddle music around the campfire when they'd. The coal miners had come in, and, you know, they, they didn't have very good, <coughs> excuse me, these were poor coal miners back in the day, right, in Ohio County. And 
they still, uh, one of my husband's, uh, <coughs> excuse me, uh, they were still coal mining when I left. They were blowing up the coal uh, in 2016. Well, he died December 2015, but his uh, relatives still worked at the coal mine, and, you know, they all knew how to handle dynamite and big equipment and all that, you know, so it was quite an interesting life. But I did, uh, the reason I asked about the Bigfoot, I was writing for the local newspaper at the time, and I would write interesting stories like we're talking about tonight, you know, but I would collect them and, like, work with the Smithsonian Institute in D.C. So today we're archiving, you know, that's sort of how I got started doing that, too, with the festivals. So, uh, but the UFO stuff people didn't believe in around there, so we didn't much talk about that. But now what was funny is how they could talk about, my husband, if I ever mentioned a UFO or anything, he'd, uh, he'd pat my leg or not around his relatives because, you know, they're church-going people, but they they could believe in Bigfoot but not UFO. So <laughs> that's right. Telling me that that Bigfoot you know, would walk up, they'd, they'd hide behind the trees and uh, stand behind the, the big, tall, you know, like Sasquatch, but they'd, they'd be big, tall, shy, shy creatures she said and you know they could be dark black or brown or you know she like they were just family they had like a human face but it was brown you know cream they colored people they called them colored uh the family was hairy colored people but they uh, didn't know bigfoot till way later on and my husband uh, told me they started calling them bigfoot but she said they called them like hairy colored people but um it sounds like it back in the, you know, they were talking 1900s, right, up to the Depression, because she died late. Right. A lot of those people talked about them, uh, these people that uh, they didn't have a name for other than hairy colored people, but real, real shy. But sometimes they didn't think they were natural to the planet. But uh, so, you know, coal-mining people born lived there. Closest it goes maybe to a store with a wagon to buy some goods or, you know, go to church on Sunday. They were hard-working people. So uh, that was I, I started asking, and I can't, had two or three people that had the same story from their grandparents. But the kids, I don't think, hung around much. Or we got so urbanized that people didn't talk about it. You know what I mean? So that's something we can talk Great. about, too, time to time. But uh, right. what else we got? UFO stories. I don't think you know. Ronnie, do you know any anything about me or Janet or stories of extraterrestrials? Uh, it seems like I've I've heard you guys before, but I just can't I can't remember exactly what it was. But I I mean I've listened to some of your stories before. So I know yeah. I know you're both experiencers. Yeah. I don't know and how to what, change it. From, that was one yeah. of the things that interested about you guys was I could come on here and talk about it and you wouldn't just go, oh, yeah, you know, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, That's right. true. I've done that. I've been on some shows where it was like, yeah, um, I think it was a Rob McConnell guy. I was on his show and he, and he was like, he refused to believe my UFO sighting oh, because I, God, I, didn't, I didn't immediately, I didn't immediately call the police. It was like, if I would have really seen something, I would have called the police. You know, and I was, it just never occurred to me. You know, I, I call the police when there's a crime <laughs> being committed, but when I see a UFO, it just it doesn't occur to me to call the police. And, I, and I'm still kind of not sure whether a, 
you know, someone should call the police or not. You know? No, that's I, presupposition on their part. And, you know, people are people and perceptions. And I've worked with some of the most brilliant Mensa people on the planet, some of the richest multimillionaires on the planet, uh, some of the smartest people, some of the dumbest people. And I've lived among, you know, next, you know, on, in a uh, mansion right with an ocean in Hawaii in my front yard. And I've lived in the poorest of poor places in uh, a trailer as a truck driver up in the hills of Kentucky. So, you know, by choice, you know, and uh, it's all been a choice depending on what level. And in each level, it's like the game of life, Ronnie. People are uh, close-minded a lot because they have created their own reality in the matrix based on their own experiences and their families, what they brought up in their cultures, and then their uh, traditions. And anything you can think of that gives you the background of who each individual is. However, when you grow up in a community, you adopt their behavior, their intelligence quotient. And that's why now a lot of us that work in uh, parapsychology and uh, uh, psychology and, I guess, all my friends pretty much are in metaphysics, but... We understand the reality that changes constantly with uh, each individual's intake, their database, right? What it is that they use their senses and perceive about themselves, not just who they are on the inside, but what is reflected from their inside onto others. So I've really learned a lot especially uh, from different groups. And it has to do with traveling the world, too, internationally, you know, going to other countries and seeing how people live. And you really learn a lot. So the cultures are important, and that's why internationally we're really trying to do our best to, well, make America great again. (laughs) But at the same time, we understand that the entire planet is spinning the same direction, and we're all like little fleas on a dog, you know, so... We have to forgive everybody if they don't accept our stories. But I'm sorry that happened to you because a lot of shows, most of us uh, came from radio at some point in our lives, doing radio shows from the bigger companies or writing newspapers. But, uh, you know, everybody's got a different history. So for all y'all that do want to call in and uh, join us uh, every week, we'll be here to join them. But, you know, Ronnie... You've got a good personality, so you will be the anchor for this show. And uh, do you care if Tommy says something? He's been hanging no, on, but let him tell his Bigfoot story. Tommy, you want to tell your Bigfoot story in New Jersey? My Bigfoot story? Yeah. Yeah, tell him. Well, if you don't care, but yeah, tell your Bigfoot no, no, story I mean, so you'll be on here. All right, well. Mine was up in Wanaku, New Jersey. Uh, I worked with a person named Sergio Latine, and we went up there like four days a week filming UFOs and all kinds of strange phenomena up there. But uh, it was one day we went to stop by the reservoir, which they flooded. They flooded a city there. It's the most important story in the UFO world, which nobody talks about. But the city was flooded, and it was up in Wanaku, New Jersey. And there's a lake there, and then they built this bridge that connected Jersey to New York, New York State. So we were up there. We got there early, so we stopped by this bridge, 
and we pulled over. And he wanted to do a few things. I said, well, let me just take a short walk. When we go out, we have, like, two cameras, two, two flashlights. I walk with a staff and a knife when we go out. And we usually load up before we start walking on the land. But I said, well, let me just take a short walk up the road. I got halfway up the road, and I heard this squeaking sound. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with much about the Montauk Project, what they released and what happened. But <clears throat> the story was they released, they, they called it the Hershey Monkey. So I thought it was that. So I'm walking through the woods, and I, and I pull into the weeds, and I start going in between the trees and everything. And then all of a sudden, it's just dead silence, and I just said, uh-oh. And then I felt breathing down my back. So I, I slowly turned my head. The moon was out. It was pretty. It was about 9.30 at night. Uh, the moon was out, and it was really bright out. As I turned around, it was a big foot about a foot away from me, standing above me, looking down at me. I reached for my camera, realizing I didn't have my camera. I, I, had my, I didn't have my staff in my hand. I didn't have nothing. So I started running back to the truck, screaming to the, to the two people. I had a scientist in the truck, Chris Cornette and Sergeant Lakeen in the truck. And I'm screaming, get the cameras, get the cameras. Because I thought, sure, it was running up because it stamped on a log and it just snapped this log right in half. So I'm running all the way back to the truck. I get back to the truck. Neither one of them were moving. They had the doors locked. I said, open the door, open the door, get the cameras. Neither one of them would open the door. And, I, and I'm saying, come on, come on, there's something over there. Finally, he rose, the Sergeant 18 rose the window down just a little. He goes, what did you see? I said, there's a Bigfoot there, come on. And he goes, no, I don't deal with those kind of things. I only deal with aliens. And I said, well, they're aliens just as much as anything else is. But finally, five minutes later, now Bruce Cornett's a scientist, and he's got all these degrees in it. He's just sitting there frozen solid. He won't move. So I open the door, and I step out. I get him to come out. And then it's still dead silence. And he goes, what'd you see? What'd you see? I said, it was a giant Bigfoot standing right next to me. Then all of a sudden it started howling. We've been on these mountains for three years. We never heard a Bigfoot scream. We never heard a wolf howl ever in the three years that we were up there. And we were up there almost every day, at least three or four days a week. Uh, winter snow uh, in the summer, no matter what. So now all of a sudden we hear this howling. I mean, I'm, I mean all the shows that, portray a Bigfoot screaming exactly how it sounds. I'd say a cross between a baby scream and like a big, big animal scream put together. And it was going on for about five minutes. It would happen every 30 seconds. It would scream real loud. And then all of a sudden it stopped to a dead silence again. And I said, What's, what happened? What happened? All of a sudden at that point, which is actually about 10 minutes, 15 minutes after I saw it, all the wolves from all parts of the mountain were howling. I mean, like I said, we were there many days, night, or half of the night, and we never heard a wolf howl. All of them were howling around the different mountains. And I only found out not too long ago that there's, there's the stories of the wolves that follow the Bigfoot. Whether they go after the food it eats, I, I have no clue. I mean, I never figured that part out. But uh, it was just bizarre because now the scream stopped, and then, like, these wolves are howling, and it echoed around the whole mountain. And then within five minutes, that stopped, and it was back to dead silence. But uh, what was really outrageous about that whole thing, the next morning, we wanted, we wanted to go up there to see if there was any kind of footprints or anything. And I saw what they call, I, I, I caught the Hershey monkey. I don't know what it was, but it was little, and it was running through the weeds, and I started chasing it. 
and it jumped right into a tree, not into a hole in a tree. It just jumped right into the tree, uh, and then it was gone. But at that point, I, I started trekking. With, I was friends with a couple people involved with the Montauk Project, and they said, well, that the, one of the few of the creatures that escaped, one was on Long Island, one was, uh, went, got off in New Jersey somehow, and they were talking about the different creatures that got out of there. But it, the whole thing, like, at that night, lasted about 15 minutes. But uh, I never got a picture of it. The next day we went out there, we couldn't find any kind of tracks because it was really uh, lots of trees down and all kinds of stuff. So it's not like a place where you would see a footprint. But uh, the following night, we went to where we go with Tesla was working with DuPont. And uh, I don't want to get into the stories too much because I don't want everybody to think I'm that crazy. But when we went out there, we heard these screams in the air. And at that point, we, we had our cameras out. We couldn't see anything. And picture just like any movie you ever saw of a, of a flying bird creature, the screeching sound that it would make. There was, there was five of us there, and we heard it coming over our head real loud. And, and you could feel the energy from the wings flapping, like that. And it was echoing through the ground. We still didn't see anything. I mean, like I said, at that point, the moon was still out. And there was no, I couldn't see it, the shadow of it or anything. And then all of a sudden, uh, we hear a crash. And all these rocks started falling down the mountain. So we decided to leave that night. And then the following day, which is actually the third day, we went back there. We had two footprints of the, of the, uh, the bird landing on the ground. Uh, and we got pictures of that. I mean, whether it was a visible or invisible creature, whatever was flying there. We heard it, we saw it, there was like five of us there all together. Uh, but it really kind of changed our viewpoint of what was up there. But this is where Tesla worked. And Tesla was doing all his work with DuPont. And they flooded the city there. That's when they put the Wanaku Reservoir in. During that time frame, and this is what nobody talks about, for six and a half to eight months, the army was stationed around the reservoir because the ships were just flying in and out of the reservoir, whether it was frozen or not. And after, after about seven months, the army just left. But they never, you never heard a story about it. I mean, there are a couple of people that try to get the information about it. Uh, from that point on, it was, we were more concerned about that story. This, uh, Sergeant Lateen and I, we go where he saw his first UFO land up in Wanaku. And we, we just went up there many years. I don't want to keep going, but it was just so many things happened after that point. But it was kind of like an interesting moment. It was the only time I actually would... I, I decided to run back to the truck to get a camera. I mean, I kind of would have should have just stayed there and tried to communicate with the thing, but I wasn't sure what I was going to do. I mean, if I would have had my camera, I would have stayed there. If I would have had anything else on me, I would have. But without it, I said, I can't even prove this. So I figured it would chase me back to the truck, which it didn't. But that was my one night with the UFO uh, and, and the Bigfoot within like three days. So it was pretty intense. But Thank I'll cut it off Tommy. there. All right. Well, Janet lives in Pennsylvania. Janet, would you like to? I've got a new show starting Tuesday, uh, folks, for uh, cryptids and with uh, uh, Lon Strickler. He's uh, had the uh, pause for paranormal or something. He has monsters and something else, but he'll be on Tuesday. But, Janet, you want to talk about your Pennsylvania flying something that would sort of go with today? Uh, did you see it or your brother yeah, there's, did? There's a lot of Pennsylvania stories, a lot of Pennsylvania stories. Um, what about the fly with the red eyes on the bridge? That 
What's it called, oh, Tommy? Oh, that was the, um, oh, God. Let me get it this. goes with Tommy's oh. story. Wait a minute. Uh, stop. 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 I can't think. I can't think until you stop talking. Um, it was the one that came in from West Virginia. Oh, God. I got to look it up. Um, the one with the wings. Anyway, um, there was one back in the 60s that was flying around West Virginia, and a bridge collapsed in West Virginia because of this creature that was flying around. Uh, I got to get the name of the creature. Come on. Hold Mothman. on. Let me get this. Mothman. Mothman. The Mothman. Okay. That's it. Yeah. And, and I was tracking this down. My brother has a friend. Who was um, who called the police about the Mothman? Okay, so we're 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 in the um, live in a little town called Avalon, which is to Bellevue, which is in Pittsburgh, down the river, heading down to Ohio. And um, so we get wind of that there was some kind of creature flying around, and uh, later it was called the Mothman. Um, and my my brother's uh, closest friend had called the police, and then ended up getting around the neighborhood really fast, so all those kids, everybody, all ages, ran down to the park, and we were all gathered, and they were all running around the park, sharing stories, and there was a bunch of people that had encountered it and saw it, and then the the newspapers came down, and they took pictures of it, and then years later, I was thinking back on that day, and I go, was that my imagination? Was there really a flying creature with red eyes? Then the movie, the book came out, the movies came out. So um, my brother's friend, he had been in prison for a couple of years. He got out. He said, "I got to tell this story," and he had written down like a whole blow by blow accounting of this Mothman. That was so. What happened was it was really tall, and it had like a mechanic. You know, I don't. You're, I need to reread it. It was really a detailed, like, nine-page account of this creature. And so they ran up to the shelter house. In in Avalon, there's only one shelter house. And it's been there since the 1920s or something. And uh, there's a farm behind the shelter house back in Newton. So, anyway, this accounting was he ran up to the – they ran up after the creatures. There were two or three of them. They were walking. They were about – well, feet tall or something. He went back to the stop sign where they saw how they were. Uh, so he me- they measured the stop sign. It's like they were little investigative reporters, but they weren't afraid. They were chasing after this, these creatures, and then the creatures saw them chasing them, so they ducked behind a dirt pile. Somebody was digging a hole, I guess, put some pipes in. They ducked behind it, and walked past it. It was really high drama. And um, I was dragging it down with my brother, and his friend got scared to, to tell the story and to come out and put names to it. And I said, well, we'll just do it anonymously. So I, I, I need to go track it down again. But it's really interesting. You think that you're the only one, but here I am. You know, that was 60, what, 65 or something, 56. And um, here comes another witness. So I'll have to track it down. Thanks for reminding me about that. I got to write to my brother and say, hey, did you uh, – permission to release the story. I think I have my computer to send it to me. And we can always change the name. He had, he had the name of the cop that came down. Uh, he had pictures of the article that was in the paper. All the very detailed. Like, and this is like a, I don't know, 18 or 19-year-old person. 
that had enough uh, foresight to document it. So I'll, I'll let you know. I'll look for that for you, Ronnie. That'll be perfect for your show here. Okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah, I've got, I've got a Bigfoot story, but I'm going to save it for next week because it takes a while to tell it. Okay. And well, I can tell one about uh, a craft that came out uh, tree height. And maybe you have another one, CJ. So I was coming home. It was uh, 1966. I'm 12 years old. I'm, I'm, I don't really have a curfew, but I go home because everybody's going home, right? And uh, the crickets are out. And so it must be August. Because the crickets don't really come out until the end of summer. And it's not really uh, loud, but it's uh, was hot in the East Coast, from what I remember. And so all of a sudden, you know, I felt something in the back of my head. And I turned around and I looked over towards my best friend at that time, her name was Patty. When I looked over, she was the life one, so she was home. And my eyes drawn to the top treetop, and there's a giant, um, what do you call it, so? cigar-shaped crap, and it has all the windows. And so I'm looking up into the cigar-shaped crap, and I can see there's figures, and they're, they're staring out of the crap at me. And, you know, they have different shaped heads, you know. Looks like they were kind of like the grays, but, you know, it's still too far for me to see any great detail, but I could definitely see the was lit and there were there were creatures or beings or somebody staring at me. At first I said, Was that the lip? Like no, it's long shape, cigar shaped, not good shape. But the other thing that happened was all the traffic stopped. Now I lived in a somewhat busy street. It was a, a little side uh, uh, leg of the the bus, so the bus would come down one of the last journeys of the night, and there were cars come down the hill. And so uh, the whole time I was looking at this, not not a single car came by, but the cricket stopped cricketing. I went, whoa. It was almost like a, a barometer shift or a dimensional shift. I could feel the vibe of the, the whole energy of the, the world <laughs> where I was standing shifted, and they and they just didn't go away. And I was, I got relaxed about it. You know, it's kind of caught off guard. And I relaxed and I just started sending thoughts to them. And I think they, I had, I've often had telepathy, but I think they strong words or impressions. It was just like a, a really sweet loving energy. So no fear whatsoever, no anxiety. And I I stared at them a while. And I said, you know, I'm getting tired. I really thank you for visiting with me and for showing yourself to me. But I got got to go in. I'm getting tired. And it was starting to get chilly because when the sun goes down after a couple hours, it's chilly. So it was was probably around 930. It started to get chilly. Anyway, um, then years later, I found out that that was, you know, the, the Dracos apparently like the cigar-shaped crap, 
not sure, but the, the ones, the beans I saw more and more like uh, gray beans, but slightly different. And then I was researching Betty and Barney Hill's encounter, and I saw the, um, you know, the rendition of their craft, and I go, oh, that's very close to what I saw. Wasn't it fast? So anyway, maybe somebody will do an analysis of all the different crafts and all the sightings and all the different beans for all the years. But that was, uh, I was just so, I was so happy. I just went to bed going, oh, my gosh. I'd like you, Ronnie, to so happy that you see them. Yeah. Yes. Ronnie, I can mention the mm-hmm. Allied Council. I worked uh, with my husband, and he and I, we met. Uh, we don't know. We were scared of each other. We had worked uh, as an, uh, agents for the government out of country. But the Allied High Council somehow brought us together, and they're intelligent beings, and uh now they they told us they represent all the peaceful galaxies. They formed an alliance for positive intelligence beings, and they do good in not only the galaxies here in this universe but others. And uh, we were able. Janet calls it the space. Well, we call it UFO secret space right now on Facebook, and we each have a uh, UFO secret space uh, domain name we bought, so we could try to make heads or tails of this, but. You know, whether people believe in gods or extraterrestrials or angels or messengers, uh-oh, Tommy fell off, or I guess he left, but anyway, gets close to the end of the show. But uh, the Ellet Council, you know, it, it doesn't really, for a while when I was writing and I introduced mine and Tom's story, I had talked to AIM out in California, and uh, the movie Contact had come out. I'd already gone to Roswell. And I met with Glenn Dennis that got the little coffins for the aliens and heard his story about the nurse. And then Lawrence Spencer, uh, Janet, had him come on, and I I got to read his book. He writes for Lulu like I do. And uh, my story was similar, but Janet remembered one of the days that she got me to open up a little bit about stuff I didn't want to. And uh, I I got, because she said, how are you doing this? It was like I was remote viewing my past life as Errol. And then, lo and behold, but I, uh, Lawrence called her A-I-R-L, and my memory was our Ariel. And I had told Janet about Ariel before uh, we heard about Errol. So she was saying, no, it's like Ariel. You know, he writes it, but Errol. <laughs> but she saw the similarities, and she had known my story from being on her radio show and talking one day. I don't think somebody showed up for her show, but she didn't let me be on very many Aquarian radio shows in eight years. So it was the third time she had me on, and uh, I was ducked, I was ducked down behind a, a something. I was ducked down and shy, and uh, the, uh, they pulled up all the police, the uh, police officer, not the police, the army, and. Uh, it, oh, it was terrible. But she asked me how I knew. I said, well, because I was there. But I was remote viewing a past life. So that goes with our consciousness thing that I really seriously want to uh, talk with Janet, Tommy, and you too because everybody has their own opinion. And everybody thinks they're right because it's in their head. And they experienced it or they've they've been to- told that. But we're hoping to work uh, 
universally now because I know that God, to me, does everything. And I know if I didn't make it, I, you can call it God or higher power or source or all that is or the Big Bang. I don't care. But I do believe in the way I was raised in my tradition. So I choose to believe in an in a all-seeing, all-knowing. But uh, at the same time, uh, the way that some of the scientists have been training me in YouTubes, they drop it down. Now, I work with a lot of quantum physicists, always did work with scientists in the government. So I understand the uh, quantum physics scientific point of view. But I did write the ACE Guide. So if anybody does care to hear my story, it's ACE Guide by T.J. Thurman Morris. And it's, I think it's on uh, Lulu. But it's got in there the story of my husband and the Allied Council and a lot to do with how it changed with the world religions because the Catholic Church responded automatically. And uh, I got to see the numbers that were in the millions on uh, because at that time they didn't block all of the people that tracked you on the, in the back ends. And I could see all the countries, Russia, China, uh, you still can, but not as much. But back in that day, in 2007, because I was a web developer uh, with GoDaddy, I could see all the back end. I had American News Magazine. I was writing for American Chronicle. But it blew the world open with that story I was telling on UFO Digest and with uh, Dirk in Canada. And then the Catholic Church got involved. And if you can go back and track this uh, timeline, folks, but it was a huge deal because I was talking about NASA my husband working at NASA and here in Bogey, 12 o'clock or 4 o'clock or whatever it was. I don't remember now. But all the stories, because I was making it real about the Allied Council, because uh, my husband and I scared each other to death knowing the same story. Just like today, you know, I had Tommy talk about the Bigfoot, because I did, and also Janet talked about the Mothman, because Tommy talked about that big flying thing, right? So, Ronnie, I don't know what we're going to expose here, but I... Uh, you know, you ain't going to believe this. I guess it's saying in the title, we don't care where they believe it or not. But well, we can tell our stories in hope that people will want to listen. But I swear to you that there's stories I've got that have not been uh, written. But in this ACE guide, I've, I was shocked. I found it today. It had forgotten I wrote it 2007 to 2011 before 2012, and the, the Allied Council had pretty much convinced me that by 2012, all these people, I was having to tell everybody in writing and being a big big influence on the Internet that the world wasn't going to come to an end. So I was doing my part, you know. See, a lot of people were, but I did my part. But this Allied Council, now they told me about the E.T. Grays and how they lost their planet, you know, in another galaxy. But uh, we can't hardly get light years in this galaxy. So I'd like people to know that a lot of these people that talk interplanetary or intergalaxy, uh, that's one level. But we also call it interstellar. And then we have, I've talked about the big ships that we use at the higher level. And I'm on record now because uh, my daughter that died filmed me talking about it in an event we had here in Navarre Conference Center. So I have a about a 15-minute introduction, Ronnie, on that. So we may be able, now that it's 2020 and got through this other side, be able to talk about some of our reality, although 
if we present it like this, it don't matter if people believe us or not because I don't know how else to tell the truth. Right. Yeah, you can't, you can't, we can't control what people believe, but they got a right to hear it. Yeah, I agree. You can't, it's not, it's really not important what they believe or not, but telling the tale, getting it out there. So I'm, I'm proud of you, CJ, starting to speak up. It's really hard. We, we started this whole show with how hard it is for some people to say it because there's always public ridicule and shaming and blaming and, you know, that's a hard thing to face. We, as human beings, we rely upon approval of others and, and disapproval or approval affects our own self-esteem. And that's kind of what we are. We're not solitary beasts. We're uh, sexual beings. We tend to rely a lot upon, you know, getting approval. But as we get older and more mature, we just go, oh, I don't really care what they think. <laughs> you know, because I can't live my life based on what other people think of me or believe. I have to just be authentic and be who I am. So I think we've come a long way. So I'm really happy that we're authentically expressing and I encourage other people that have stories to tune in and, and start being real with yourself in your own life. Speaking your personal truth. So that's my two cents. I think we're almost out of time. I don't know if we, if anybody's listening to me or not. Did we fall off? No, we like three minutes. Three minutes. Go ahead. Yours. That's all yours, Ronnie. Take us on home. What would you like to tell us, <laughs> buddy? Yeah. Uh, well. Yeah, we hope you guys enjoyed our episode today. If you ain't gonna believe this. Because uh, we're going to tell you some stuff that's going to be hard for you to believe. But, and, and it might, might scare you a little bit, too, some of the weird stuff that we covered tonight. Um, but we're going to be here every Saturday, uh, probably at 7 p.m. Maybe some days we may be 3 p.m., but I think next week it's probably going to be 7 p.m. Uh, but we encourage you to, to if you want to call in, feel free to call in and tell us what some of your paranormal stories or if you have a story that you're too shy to share, you can uh, email it to me, RonnieDawson11 at gmail.com, R-O-N-N-Y-D-A-W-S-O-N-1-1 at gmail.com, and I'd be happy to share it for you. So uh, Next week, I've, I've got a Bigfoot story next week, and we'll, we'll, we'll talk about it, and we'll talk about some more paranormal madness, and, and we hope you really enjoy the show. We've had a good time putting it on. And uh, like I said, there's just so much stuff out there and uh, so many people to share it. And, and I enjoy hearing stuff that, you know, because if you don't share it, uh, who's, you know, eventually someday you're going to die and nobody will ever. It'll be the end of the story. You know, you don't, the story can live forever if you're willing to share it. So don't let the story die. So don't let something that amazing die with you. So, and that's the reason. Like I said, some of the stories I've told tonight are from the stories of, of my dad, who's no longer here. So, uh, you know, the story lives on through me and to the ones I tell it to. So we encourage you to call in, and we hope you enjoy the show. And I thank everybody. Thank TJ and Janet for coming in here, and I enjoy everybody that came in and shared their stories as well. Does anybody else have anything they'd like to say before we close it out? 
I think that's all for me. Uh, CJ, do you have any exit music that we can close the show with? You got something nice to play? Anyway, CJ might be over there. Anyway, I think we're pretty complete. Uh, I really appreciate everybody coming. Thank you so much. And uh, TJ, would you like to say the final word? And then we will say goodbye. So I'm going to say aloha, everybody, and thank you for joining us. This has been the... um, well, my my uh, show is the Korean Radio, and uh, TJ's is uh, TJ Morrison's Radio, and this um, this show is part of a series called Yeah, Yeah, Ain't Gonna Believe This. <laughs> Alrighty, I'm gonna go now. Thank you, much love and blessings, and aloha. Good night. <laughs>